0: Hi everybody, my name is Mason Slate, and this is Level Zero Literacy, a new podcast wherein myself and two of my close friends, Sam and Buck, are going to be discussing narrative video games, the stories of those games, and what they mean to us. This first episode will be on the game Road 96, and it will contain full spoilers for the game, as will every episode. Uh, It will also include discussion of some sensitive topics, which will include, but are not limited to, fascism, child trafficking, and child assault. Listener discretion is advised, and thank you for listening.
1: Hello everybody, and welcome to level zero literacy my name is samuel and i am joined here today by mason and buck hi everybody. everybody. hello This is our first episode, so we did want to kind of lead in with a little bit of an introduction about the show, what we're doing, and a little bit about ourselves. So I'm going to roll right into it. So Level Zero Literacy, what we're trying to do is Mason came up with this excellent idea of kind of doing a video game book club where we take games with a specific literary purpose. And I want Mason to kind of explain his vision in that so that you guys can get a good idea of what was going on in his head when he came up with it. Mason?
0: Yeah, so um, I think um, as we sort of move forward in time, game development uh, becomes bigger budget. Uh, game development becomes uh, a more open sort of creative expression for more people. That we have a lot of games that narratively are as dense, uh, are as uh, have as much to say as like some of like the finer literature, some as, as other creative art forms and I wanted to have a place to talk about what I think and what you two think are some of the sort of shining examples of narrative story driven artwork in the video gaming space and I want you know I the best way I could figure to talk about that would be like a book club and so we've over the over the series of episodes we're going to pick out week by week one game that that we believe Uh, is narratively strong, that has something to say about the world, or some big idea to communicate uh, through its stories. And we're just going to talk about it, what we like, what we don't like, how well we think it communicates, uh, what it's trying to do, um, what the sort of
1: larger themes are, what it has to say about the world, that kind of thing. So, and to let you get to know us a little bit better, I've prepared some introductory questions, which I'm going to ask the group. Uh, Just to give you a little bit of a concept of our history of video games, our history with works of fiction and kind of just give you an idea before we lead into our uh game of topic today so first question is what was your first console and your first video game for me personally uh my first console was a nintendo 64 i want to say my first video game was probably mario party 2 um but it probably it might have been you know super mario 64 one of those other early titles uh so for me uh the actual answer to
2: this question is like Defender on Atari. Uh, but that's not the first games that I really got into. The first game and console that I owned and played uh, was uh, Mega Man X on the Super Nintendo. Okay. I was obsessed with that game as a kid. That's so sick, actually. Um, my first console
0: was the PlayStation 1. And the first, I actually had two first video games, got them the same day I got the console were Metal Gear Solid and Final Fantasy VII. And I was six years old. Way too young for both of those games.
1: (laughs) All right, what is your favorite video game of all time? And give us like one to two cents as to to why that is.
0: I think my favorite video game of all time is Metal Gear Solid 2. Uh, And I'll uh, concede that my love of Metal Gear Solid probably stems from It being my first game and all, Uh, but two is what I personally believe to be the best uh, entry in the series. It's grown on me so much over time, and like uh, I think that game is responsible for my sort of love of story-driven games, which is why I think um, to say anything else would would be just sort of
2: denying like such a huge part of, of why I wanted to do this. For me, the answer is Final Fantasy IX uh, because it does the best things with the best tropes of JRPGs, my opinion.
1: And I think my favorite, my, I, I, I have a hardest time pinning down one game in general, Just and it can shift from day to day. But I think today my favorite is Disco Elysium. Um, I think the it, it mastered the concept of what a visual novel game should be. Uh, while also having an ex, some of the best writing in any game ever, um, best characters in any game ever, and just general concept and design is just some of the best work I've ever seen. From especially from a, a first time uh, development company. All right. Uh, so moving on, what is your favorite all all time favorite work of fiction? It could be a movie, a book, a video game, um, anything, any fictional work that you found to be the best thing that you had come across. All right. So uh here is where we're going to trash
2: it up a little bit. Oh baby. Uh, oh baby. Yeah. So for my favorite work of fiction, I am going to have to pick because anything else would be lying even though I have read and watched better things. Uh Tingen Tapa lagan.
0: Oh, okay. You know what? I get it. I get it. I've seen it too. I love it. Um, I think my all-time favorite work of fiction is The X-Files. I watch it like every few years during October. Well, to be honest, this, this year it's kind of spilled over out of October. But it's such a great series. It's highly acclaimed uh, for a reason. Uh, and it's it's just awesome.
1: I think I gotta. I think today. Oh man, I think today I'm gonna say my favorite fictional series of all time is going to be Adventure Time. While I don't think it's my favorite piece of media, I do think it's one of the best shows as far as world building, like consistent good world building, paired with interesting storylines that are both digestible for children and interesting for adults which is something that i feel like a lot of shows don't accomplish these days anymore so that's going to be my pick we'll we'll move on to our next question which is what is the worst game you've ever played and you can take that to any interpretation you like that you still love for me i do think this this isn't a bad game necessarily but it is a game that is generally conceived considered to be pretty pretty mediocre by most of the critics and fans, and that was Eastward. It was a game that I got to play earlier this year, a little indie game. Um and I loved it. It there are definitely elements where the gameplay and everything isn't super exciting. But I really love the story. I love the art that they created, the pixel art especially, and while I wish it was just a little better, I still have like a place in my heart for that game because I do just really love some of the things that they were able to accomplish. I think the worst game I ever
0: played and still love uh, was Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 1. Um, it was considered groundbreaking sort of for the time, but I know that uh, a lot of people's opinions on it uh, for the story, the... Uh, how the game looked, the combat system has really soured over time, but I could go back to that game today and just, like, play the absolute uh, crap out of it. Because, like, I don't know. Maybe it's uh, nostalgia. Um, In it being so groundbreaking, it taught me a lot about, like, what a cool, good game is. And, you know, maybe the story is full of cliches. Maybe it is a little basic. But... um, it's you know a lot of the individual characters are very well thought out um and i think the game is just like i don't know the the
2: whole is greater than the sum of the parts so uh my game for this is actually also a bioware game Mm. uh mine is actually kind of had the opposite experience a lot of people when this first game first came out were really mad about it and really disliked it for a lot of reasons. Some of them probably valid, but it's actually been so long since I played this game that I don't remember it as well as I would like to, but I do remember loving it. Like when I played it, I never stopped playing it. And that game is Dragon Age Inquisition, which nowadays when I see people talk about it, when that game came out, people did not like it. But nowadays, when I see people talk about it, it seems like there's a lot more positive reception for it.
1: Which, uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about that later. Podcasts for right. now. <laughs> and then our final question is, if you could create a game, you have an, like, an unlimited budget, you have access to the team that you need, if you could create a game based on any experience, what would you want it to be and how would you like to portray it? Uh, I'll go first here. Oh, hell yeah. um, so...
2: This is gonna be really lame. I just want Fromsoft to make a Dark Souls robot game. <laughs> That's all I want. Like sci- like sci-fi
0: I... inspired, you mean?
2: Well no, I mean like armored core, but oh, more Dark Souls-y. Uh, like a mech kind of thing. I I the dearth of giant robot action games is an abomination on this industry you would
0: that's like incredibly surprising because you would think that would be
2: like one of the very
0: first easiest things that you can do a bunch of cool stuff with
2: well a lot of a lot of anime licensed robot games are strategy games and even the not licensed games like front mission and sakura wars are all strategy based but i I just want modern robot action games but there's just none besides you, you, some indie games. you want to
0: shoot and kill and go fast and it to be cool yes <laughs> i get it i get it uh i'm kind of a sucker for post-apocalyptic games i think um some people have explored this idea in sort of a comedic way i always thought of like this is going to sound grim but i think it would make a cool game like a uh nuclear war um post-bomb like community building sort of thing where you are bunkered up in your house uh, and you have to like make decisions like do you let people come stay with you like do you go out and scavenge and it's been uh, explored in like funny ways like I think the game's called 60 Seconds to Die or maybe just called 60 Seconds um, I think it's just called 60 Seconds so. yeah where you just play like a, a like a dad um putting his family in a bomb bunker and it's it's very like it's meant to be read very comedically, and things like that. Um, but I think like a like a serious tonal game that was that had like heavy like decision making and uh, consequences and like some kind of cool message to say. I think that would go so hard
1: for me. I, I I've been playing a lot of games this year about kind of death and loss so which is a lot of those games do explore themes of what it means to have a lot like what it means to go through loss what it means to process loss and what it means to kind of like go through death i would love to see a game kind of about concepts of the afterlife that explore different religions approaches to the afterlife in a very respectable manner Um, I'm not sure gameplay, how gameplay would look for that, but just like a way that's kind of exploring all of these different spaces in a way that can be respectable to all of them and give people kind of perspective on all of the different cultures of the world and how they view what life looks like after death. Any other introductory things that people would like to bring up before we get into the meat of this episode? I think I got it all out of me. Uh I'm also good. I'm ready to talk
2: about our main topic.
1: Great. Well without further ado, let me introduce our game for today, and today we are going to be talking about a lovely indie game that came out back in 2021, mid-2021. This game is called Road 96. Uh it was a adventure video game as they'd say it, but for some people we would be calling it a walking simulator or a sort of like choose your own adventure simulator. Somewhere in a similar vein of like a Life is Strange or a Telltale game. Something of that nature. It was developed by a French studio called Digix Art. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. The game is about uh, you playing a string of teenagers trying to escape a tyrannical regime. Um, you are looking to flee the country. But mostly you're kind of a face in the crowd. The game really revolves around a set of characters...
0: Uh, so the main characters uh, that you, the, that your series of teenagers over the game interact with are uh, Zoe, a fellow teenager on the run, whose uh, father works within the tyrannical government. Uh, you have uh, Sonia, a news broadcaster for a government propaganda network uh, who drives around the country partying in her limo. You have Stan and Mitch. A couple of down on their luck, kind of dopey criminal types who are in pretty bad financial hardship and get up to like almost like sitcom uh, bank robber type scenarios. Uh, you have Fanny, the cop, who works in a special division of the tyrannical government's police called Road Control, uh, whose job is to round up teenagers trying to flee the country. Uh, you have Alex. Who is a boy genius, uh, as well as Fanny's adopted son, who is a very very young teenager, uh, not fleeing the country but on a road trip, and struggling with being involved in some radical political groups. Uh, you have John Ursus, who is a uh, very like an older truck driver who uh, takes part in. These same radical political groups that Alex does, however, has a, a very different perspective on what they should be doing uh, based on some events uh, that happened before the game. And finally, you have Jared, who is uh, kind of an insane murderous taxi driver uh, who's out to get revenge for the people that he found he finds responsible uh, for the death of his
1: daughter. Uh, and yes yeah, so the director for this game and I again I'm hoping this pronounce I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this correctly is Yon Fenice. I wanna th- i wanna say that's right but it is French so apologies if I've not pronounced that correctly and yeah so let's let's get right into it for me I want to say that the big point of this game is kind of portraying people living under a tyrannical regime and the different things that happen as a result of that, the different experiences that people have as a result of living under that and the different things, the different ways that people approach it to have the most of what they believe the most they can get out of their lives is. What do you guys think?
2: Yeah. So I do think that is exactly what this game is trying to do. And I think it's pretty interesting how you as a player experience it because one thing for me running throughout the game and I don't know what order we're going to talk about these things is is you can as a character play off like you know about everything everyone is talking about and miss out on actual information if you don't ask about it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which was an ex- interesting experience that I had. But I was pretty fascinated with this world right off the bat, just experiencing how everyone was living and how people reacted to you playing as the teenager who is supposedly uh, running away. I think that
0: a lot of the game... I don't know, there's there's kind of some weird... Um, in my mind, kind of discordant things happening here where a lot of the game's main story is driven by characters who are not the player. And that's understandable because the player plays like a series of like seven or eight different characters over the course of the game. However, um, what the character chooses has a very heavy-handed decision um, in what these like NPCs who are actually driving the story really do. Um, And I found that like... A little, personally, like, hard to digest, but um, pulled off in, like, a not-bad kind of way. I also, um, we might talk about this later, but I am not sure what the country that the the game takes place in is supposed to be analogous to, if it's supposed to be analogous to any real-world country. It's called Petria, which I think... The name is a reference to the fact that in the game their main export is crude oil, like petrol oil. Fuels. Yeah, so I'm not sure if it's supposed to be like America, or if it's supposed to be France, or maybe like Brazil, like a
1: place with a bunch of crude oil. I, I ba- based off the environments i almost want to say it's based off of a middle eastern country just like a, a, mm-hmm. a faceless middle eastern country but i don't my inclination is that they're not really trying to pin it to one any one country and they the, the intent in leaving a lot of the landscape featureless is that it's supposed to be above a, a step above it's not just like one it's not supposed to be analogous to any one country well, I, or any, even a place. Yeah, I I think the point is it
2: could be anywhere because yeah, it yeah, happen anywhere, right? I don't know. I found that I found that
0: like uh, particular. You know, it's always good to think like, oh, are, are they trying to anchor this to some real world place? You know, but you know, there's sure. there's like deserts and like lush forests, uh, and there's like a million different accents among the players, and that might be like. Constraint of the, that might be on purpose, and it might be like a constraint of like what voice act uh, talent they had available for a small project like this. I, I don't really know. The country is also huge. Yeah, it's gigantic.
1: <laughs> let's let's get into like let's let's talk about the the kind of the gameplay a little bit. You know, I describe this as a walking simulator for for lack of a better term. Um, I do think that's one of one of the, the things I do struggle with with this game is that some of your choices aren't necessarily as important but they do more they more self-contain themselves within the different kind of vignettes that you go through but for the most part you are kind of walking around you have different vignettes that you get to see with all the different characters you get to kind of give your input into those different uh, scenarios your thoughts but it is most, for the most part, it is kind of a story-driven game. In so much as there's, there is a lot of dialogue, you know, your choices do matter, but you know, only to like a certain extent, right? Yeah,
0: there are a series of outcomes in the game that mostly happen towards the end of the game that can be influenced by your choices in one way or another. The main one is the the big one is the ending of the game. Um, do y'all mind if I kind of run through that real quick? Go for it. There's, there's three endings that can happen. One uh, where the this one, I believe, is pretty unlikely to happen. The tyrannical ruler of the country wins re-election and everything gets worse. Uh, this is like the bad ending. And then there's two endings where the tyrannical ruler uh, loses to his more liberal challenger, Uh, in the election that takes place over the course of the game. Uh, One in which uh, a a violent protest happens on election day and one where it doesn't. Over the course of the game, as you make choices that include things like vandalizing propaganda posters, um, pushing political actors to be more or less violent, voicing your sentiment to uh, simply leave the country instead of partaking in the political process, things like that. Um, you're kind of putting weights on a big three-way scale, and then at the end of the game, the the scale with the most weight is the ending you get, is what I would kind of liken it to. And at the end of every sort of teenager, which are, I guess, analogous to like levels in another game, uh, you get a little vision of the future for where your game is headed.
2: So to kind of maybe take a step back from the... Uh... Endings and the 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 choice uh, mattering thing. I always think it's interesting when we come to these kinds of games where people talk about your choice mattering. There are people who I think unfairly level criticism on games who talk about their choice mattering, but there's only three endings, Uh, especially for like an indie game like this. But to kind of maybe step back a little bit. I think a lot of this game where your choices that you do in individual scenarios matter is how the other characters choose to continue through the world, right? Yeah, Um, right. There are a lot of places where you make an individual choice that may or may not end up changing something in one of the set three endings but changes how your future characters are going to interact with other characters.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Each of us does have some issues with the gameplay, but let's kind of get into what we, the main part of the main meat, kind of the backbone of this experience, which I think is the story and the characters. So let's, let's kind of segue into this a little bit and let's have each of us take one, moment from the game whether it was a full vignette or like one specific small character interaction and kind of give our audience a breakdown of uh what it was what happens just paint kind of a visual picture for folks um and then we'll kind of take some time to discuss uh each of these moments amongst ourselves and what they meant to us go ahead uh so like
0: the The moment I would talk about, after our just sort of previous conversation, I want to highlight like one part I think the game deals with choices like very well. Uh, One of the times you could tell they put a lot of thought into it um, is uh, in one of the vignettes, you come upon Alex, the boy genius, clearly building like a bomb. And he says, oh, I'm working with this uh, sort of political dissident group, the Black Brigades, that's what they're called. There's only one, uh, and he says uh, they've they've contracted me. There's this guy. He's the leader, and he wants me to build this for him. It's just like the violent attack that happened ten years ago. And your teenager, whoever you're controlling at that at that point in the game, when you come upon it, can either urge Alex, like, "Hey, man, you shouldn't do this. This is clearly going to hurt people," or you can say, like, uh, "No, like the protest might need something like this. You know, like it's gonna it's gonna get bad." Um, And you can influence him to be responsible for building, like, a a big bomb uh, that's for, like, a plotted terrorist attack at the end of the game. And seeing, uh, like, in my playthrough, I tried to play, like, as radically politically violent as possible to see, like, what the ramifications at the end of the game would be. And, like, holy cow, like, I had him, like, building the bomb and stuff, and um, it turned out, like... It's like a disaster. And, of course, the game foreshadows like that it's going to be a disaster and it's like a bad idea. You get to the end of the game and, like, all the... Can I get into it? Can I get into stuff about the ending or do we want to cover that later? No, I mean, this is, this is your <clears throat> moment. Talk about how your moment plays out. Yeah, like, at the end of the game, you come to sort of reckon with the consequences of your actions and Fanny, uh, Alex's um, adopted mother... Uh, has to like watch her child die in a protest and like shoots one of the black brigades in the back as he's running away and like her world crumbles and it's like oh wow like i i got that specific experience that that bit of the ending because i chose to make the world like a little bit more like violent and worse and it's like i have to think about the consequences
1: of that i thought like that was executed like super well and, and, and even, um, I know in your playthrough, you allowed Zoe to die at the border. Um, so, you know, in, even in even in that, that made the difference in Alex's time because of my playthrough, where I kind of did a similar, I wouldn't say I advocated for the political violence as much as you did in your playthrough and kind of looking for the ramifications of that. But in my playthrough, I did have uh, Zoe survive. Um, and then at kind of the big protest at the end, Zoe was the one who ended up getting shot instead of Alex. Obviously, I'm, I'm not sure if the creation of the bomb was necessarily the, the, the reasoning behind him end up ending up being the one getting shot at the border, but it is interesting to see, like, the full ramifications of things there at the end, and just the, the little decisions that end up mattering more than you thought they did. Oh, yeah.
2: Uh, to kind of jump into just the bomb thing, I don't think know if it does i had a vignette where i convinced alex not to make the bomb but i was talking to yeah i was talking to john and he was upset about the leader of the black brigade asking alex to make the bomb and i also had a politically violent ending uh yeah interesting um
1: well, well so just so just to fill you in mason so what happens is if 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 you do convince uh alex to not build the bomb in one way or another the brigades end up stealing his blueprints and manufacturing one themselves oh okay i got so there, there there ends up being a bomb at the border either way it's just a matter of Ooh. who is Culpable in the situation.
0: So, so was like was the interaction between John, Alex, and
2: Fanny different at the end of the game for you, Buck? So I saved Zoe at the border. I had that was my one teenager death. We can talk stats on that later. Oh yeah. Uh, I saved Zoe at the border, and Fanny still uh, shot the brigade, but and Alex went to join the protest. But in mine. Zoe comes in and is shot because the tyrannical leader orders for them to shoot on the protesters. But Alex doesn't die. Yeah, that's the same. That's the same outcome that I had in my first playthrough. And did did Fanny kill John?
0: Yes. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That brings well, that so... brings me into another thing I hate. God, Fanny is the worst. Yes. She's best. But it's of... good. No, it it's is. Good. She's the best depiction of a cop ever. But yeah. holy cow, I hate her. Oh man, she's like the cause of like every bad thing that happens. Almost.
2: It's very interesting. Jeez. She also does her job so inconsistently. Yeah. Just
1: on your point, I guess. <laughs> Maybe it's because like she's my second favorite written character in the game, and it's just because of how how efficiently the writing makes you like flip flop on her character where Mm -hmm. you can because you can see moments where she really wants to like do the correct thing the morally correct thing but ultimately because she is a cop she feels obligated to do the bidding of a tyrannical regime um and i think that there is the the way they do it is is very It feels tasteful, and it feels really well done, honestly. Yeah, I mean, like,
0: no, yeah, I agree with that. It's just, like, I think she was written to cause, like, frustrations. To, like, show you how, like, ineffectual, like, someone working within a uh, corrupt and broken system, like, an individual should be. Because at some points, she's, like, oh, this, like, down on her luck, like, plucky and her car breaks down and she's like all like funny and then like you get to other scenes and it's like you see her act under pressure and she just starts absolutely terrorizing people she's like holding up a bus full of innocent people with a gun and like threatening to jail teenagers who are just like staying at a motel unless they do her like police work for her and stuff it's like holy cow like
1: yeah. You're like actually she was like a monster. Yeah, I th- I think one of the one of the key things in this game is, you know, when we go back to that theme of like people living on a tyrannical regime, there is you look at the the difference in power dynamics between people directly benefiting from the tyrannical regime, which is Sonia, Fanny, uh Stan and Mitch, which I, we can talk about um and versus the people that are not directly uh, and I guess I guess technically Zoe to an extent versus the people that are not um, directly beneficiaries of the tyrannical regime. You know, John, Alex, especially Gerard. Like exploring that dichotomy and like how it affects characters' motivations, how it affects their. Um, dynamics with each other is just like is definitely the high point of the game for me is like them really being able to develop those characters in that way of the beneficiaries versus the not and allowing them to like play in that space with each other on that note
2: can i talk about my uh your like big scene yeah Please please do yeah so my like the thing that got the most visceral reaction from me was actually really early. It was my first interaction with Sonia. I am walking into this some kind of ceremony thing, and I see protesters as I walk up. Oh, and I know then what I, you're talking about. And, you know, they tell me, walk on, kid. And I do. And so I walk down to Sonia, and now my teenager is almost dead. No money. And... Sonia offers me a job. Film this guy, uh, I think I think you end up finding out it's Zoe's dad, talking about the opening of an oil mine, I think, an oil processing plant or something. And your job is to film it, and also uh, tell the crowd to cheer or boo based off of the correct way a propaganda news channel would want you to do it. And on the offer of money so that my teenager doesn't die, I actually start out with, like, giving them one cheer. And then I'm like, oh, God, I hate this. (laughs) (laughs) And so I end up only giving them one cheer, and then when he continues to talk about, like, he... He did, yeah, it talks about Tyrak, I just don't do anything. He talks about Tyrak's opponent, and I don't do anything. I'm just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. And then the protesters show up, and what you can do is you can turn the camera to look at the protesters as they show up, and then cops go to run and beat them into the ground. Yeah. And you can film that. <laughs> Not that it really does anything, But I thought it was interesting that at the end of that exchange, Sonya still paid me for doing quite a mediocre job. And uh, that kid ended up getting out. And I thought on the note of how does a person, you know, survive in a fascistic regime, specifically in this, you know, kind of fantasy world setting where a kid can just walk on the road for Ever and not effectively get caught by the road patrol. Uh, I thought that was super interesting because I did compromise on my beliefs a little bit just to survive. And I I think that was a very effective way of portraying that kind of thing. Oh, yeah.
0: Can I ask you this? Do you remember how much Sonya paid you? Uh, I do not. It was like $60, maybe. So I had played this game before we had started planning this podcast and to watch it there and to bone up for the podcast i watched my fiance play the game she got that exact event um maybe everyone gets it um she got that event and she did like a really good job for sonia she like it was one of her first events so she didn't know that like tyrak was like evil or whatever sonia paid her a ton of money enough she she had, like, $4 going into that, and she had, like, almost 100 coming out of it. Because Sonya, Sonya gives you, like, a bonus if you do good propaganda. It is so easy. I mean, this is probably obvious given the themes of the game, but, like, if you, like, shill out to Tyrak, like, your life gets so easy.
1: Well, I, 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 and this isn't my, like, one scene, but, like, it's, it, I feel like there's no scene that really portrays that better than the scene in the limo. With Sonya, where you end up tripping out. And then like she's like having a moral dilemma of like whether she's doing the right thing. Because like on her face, you know, Sonia is really good about always keeping this appearance up that she's, you know, very pro Tyrak. And she's like grateful for the things that she's benefited in her life. But there's like two moments of cl- like moral clarity for her one of which is the scene with at, at the Rockfall where she almost gets assassinated by Draud, um, and the other one is that scene in the limo, it's, it's, it's always the double-edged sword of, you know, where, the, where are the lines drawn for you? Where, at what point are you... How much of your morality as a person are you willing to give up in pursuit of wealth or status or, you know, power or whatever... Um, where do you draw that line? And I think the cool the cool thing about Sonya as a character is it always feels like she's approaching it, but she never gets there.
0: I think what I find interesting is like where all of the different characters are at in terms of what they gain in terms of being immoral, and like how that view how that changes how you view them, right? Because all the teenagers, and maybe this is partially because you're playing them and you have to sort of self insert um, what they gain in in exchange for uh, supporting Tyrak, is they get to survive another day. Uh, But Sonya, what she gains is her luxurious life gets a little bit more luxurious. So she's not, like, you're not getting the same thing in exchange, and you're not at the same starting point. The same is also true of Fanny. It's very clear throughout the course of the game that Fanny uh, has other points of, like, uh, moral clarity and that kind of thing. Um, but she's getting, like, just, like, a middle-class life uh, in exchange for, like, so, you know, being an, a tool of Tyrac.
2: Yeah, And I think that kind of uh, shows through in the fact that she can kind of fall apart. Because I think part of Fanny's attempts at being sympathetic is she's not sonya right yeah because my thing with sonya is i do think Sonya's is an interesting character but her uh being willing to just sacrifice her assistant dude oh Uh, adam yeah that guy's stupid i hate him (laughs) i don't know anything about him besides watching him almost get dropped off a building uh (laughs) is that like Sonya doesn't really have repercussions for her actions. Uh, and Fanny doesn't really either, except for the fact that Fanny actually has to deal with the oppressed populace, where Sonya can ride in her theoretically armored limo and not worry about it, you know? Oh, yeah, I never
0: mm. thought about that. That's a good point. Maybe that's why it comes so much easier to Sonya. Maybe that's why Sonya has so many fewer like points in the game where
1: she like shows any regret at all i guess i'll get into my kind of keystone moment here so you're walking along the road you know you kind of you eventually stumble upon this old abandoned trailer park uh you are alone yeah you peel back some kind of like pieces of roofing and you're able to like enter this like old abandoned facility and you find a baseball bat. And there's, like, a this, like, fun, like, preppy moment of you going around and just, like, bashing stuff, table, like, old furniture and tables and chairs and, like, piles of, like, cans. And then Gerard shows up. And I know we haven't talked a lot about Gerard yet, but Gerard is, you know, a man on a mission to write what, right, what he believes is wrong. Your teenagers, a lot of the times, in scenarios with Gerard, have a... a very high likelihood of being murdered by him yep. i would say of all, like i would say probably 80 percent of the scenarios that you experience with draw can end in your character being killed so draw and it's interesting because for me i experienced this moment later so i knew about the dangers and so seeing him it's like oh i need to be on my toes for the rest of this encounter and so draw brings you around to kind of this centerpiece of the compound or the the trailer park where there is this big uh abandoned radio antenna uh that's been set up he asks you to destroy it with him and so the two of you like just go to town and draw is like angrily screaming like things of of ideations of rage of like rage at the black brigades and, and rage at you know life in general essentially and then after you destroy it the two of you sit down uh have a drink and he tells you about his daughter um and this is really like the first time we get to see a more human side of gerard where mm-hmm. he is just he just wants to talk about he wants to talk about his daughter he talks about what how she was growing up and what she was into and Uh, it turns out that she joined the black brigades of her own you know kind of for what he believes was influenced by one of her mentors eventually that was what led to her dying was her joining this organization and as he kind of like tries to begin to process his grief he flares up again and gets mad and instead of killing you he just tells you to leave um and as you exit the scene you can kind of hear in the background Gerard shooting probably uh, with abandon but you know who we don't really have a clear picture where he's shooting at and then you do get to kind of exit and that scene really stuck with me because as time has gone by I think Gerard is actually the best written character in Road 96 because he is like the core of rage in the game he is the core of anger in the game you know there's the black brigades which are this underground kind of like political advocating for some political violence organization and there's the police you know raging against the people and then obviously there's a tyrant at the top kind of just watching it all burn there's something just so visceral about one man's journey of revenge and it being so all-encompassing against all of the people that he thinks have wronged him the people that wronged his daughter that that scene just allowing him to have a moment of allowing him to have a moment and allowing you to share in that moment of clarity for him that just feels so powerful in a way that like is hard to pin down Um, without necessarily understanding all of the other interactions that you have with him as a character.
2: Uh, So that's another thing where I wish I could have maybe messed with Gerard more. Like, for example, uh, there is a scene where you're in his taxi and he talks about picking up a, a VCR analog. I don't think it's literally called a VCR. It's called something else. Anyway, when his taxi breaks down during this scene, you have the chance to put in a tape that appears to be of his daughter. Boy, was I tempted to do that, but I absolutely did not. That whole. The whole interactions with Gerard are super interesting to me because. Most of this game was chill to me, but they like to jump scare you with him. Yes. And (laughs) I was always just terrified of him all the time. I I think that was another thing they did very well, is they made him scary. He's menacing.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He never, you never see him without like a gun. And he's all the only, like most of the ways that you are introduced to him. He's like, threatening you with a gun. He's like, all right, you're going to do what I say, or you're going to die. Or maybe you're also going to die. If you do what I say, I'll make a choice later.
1: In some ways, he's almost like two face where it's really just like a coin flip, right? He's, he's, he, he, something horrible has happened to him. He, he is going to make a split second decision based off of like how he's, he's feeling, you know, a coin flip more or less. He did. Uh, he, He killed two of my teens. Yeah. Oh, i I don't i i really and that's the thing is like gerard is just so like like the moment with the tapes there are just so many moments where you're like your fear they like your fear keeps you from exploring more and there's (laughs) just something so good about that where it's like i i desire to know more about this character but i'm afraid of like the ramifications of doing so yep absolutely
2: yeah and i've I've honestly never experienced that in a video game or like th- that exact feeling of I want to see what's on this and in any other game I would but I want to survive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so
2: I'm going to not. I one of the t- one of the times
0: I died, I really pushed Gerard as far as he will go. He I mean and it does not take much pushing. He he <laughs> will kill you for like almost nothing. In one of so I don't know if y'all got this scene. Do y'all get the scene where he kidnaps you in the hotel? Yeah. So yep. for the listeners, uh, there is a scene where your kid can sleep outside of a motel because you don't have any money, and while you sleep, Gerard will come scoop you off the streets and drag you into his hotel room. And a lot of things happen, but eventually you find out that he's killed a cop who was giving him trouble. And he needs your help to sort of uh, talk to the hotel owner and like do a bunch of tasks for him while he disposes of the body in the bathtub. Um, And I decided this was like one of my earliest uh, interactions with Gerard. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not just going to sit here and be held hostage or whatever. One of the first Mm -hmm. thing that happens is the motel owner walks by and he's like, hey, you doing good over there? You can clearly see Gerard standing behind the door with a gun pointed at you just like saying like, all right, you know, you better say the right thing. And yeah. I thought, there's no way he's going to kill both me and this motel owner. I think my only way to escape is to tell the motel owner what's happening here and maybe run away. And I was like, help, there's a guy with I a... I didn't even finish the sentence. He killed us both. Just like immediately. Ooh. He will go off uh, and it does not care how many people he kills. Yep.
1: Mm. Yeah, if you play out that scene, you end up... Uh, this is a little... There, obviously, was trigger warning at the start. If you play out that scene, he ends up dissolving the cop's body in that bathtub with gasoline. Holy cow. Like, he is, like, it's so, it's so funny to me because, as Buck said, a lot of this game, even though there's, like, the political under-themes and, like, undertones and, like, this, like, current of political violence... It's still, there's still this, like, air of being a little carefree, of being a little colorful, mm-hmm. especially with the music. I think the music for me, you know, the tapes you find lying around that have kind of, like, lighter tones and, like, poppy music, which serves as, like, a nice foil to, like, all of the horrible things that are going on. But, man, there's something about Gerard's scenes where it's just, like, bring it just brings you back into the reality And, like, actually makes you aware of all the horrible things that are going on. Because Stan and Mitch are just so silly and funny and, like, oh, they're incompetent, so it's, like, a good time. And, like, Sonya is, like, a larger-than-life personality who, like, isn't really... You know aware of the consequences of her actions all of the time and her, her least... off-screen accent as well. yeah <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so like all so many of the characters like even john to an extent is just so like friendly and outgoing mm. and like even though he has all this like inner drama and inner conflict is still like just at the end of the day a good person to you and like all the times you come across him and then there's just there's just Gerard who is this complete force of nature and does not like is not willing to give any quarter to anybody because he believes that he has been wronged by everyone. I think he serves an incredibly important
0: narrative role too um because it would be very easy to write a, a game about like uh an unquestionable force of evil the government and an unquestionable force of good the black brigades but Gerard's there to illustrate that things are not better under the black brigades necessarily. Uh, because yeah. the things they choose to do that are violent cause real human sacrifices, real violent human sacrifices. People's lives are changed. He's there to he's there to show you that like we're gonna give you the choice to be violent, to be as radical as possible, but you are gonna have to reckon with the idea that these human sacrifices are not just like people in a video game. We're gonna put your face up to it, and we're gonna make you understand that these actions are going to have consequences too you're going to ruin people's lives in a
1: way that is comparable to how tyrak ruins people's lives yeah Mm -hmm. what what, one other moment i want to talk about this is this was going to be my second choice of if i had one moment to discuss is the first so when you are escaping the country essentially there are a bunch of different escape routes that each escape route you get one shot at so, you know, there's there's one where you can take a an exam to go be allowed to work outside the country. There's one where you hide inside of a tractor trailer. Um, you know, there's one where you hire someone to smuggle you out of the country. But the one that always stuck out to me was when you climb the mountain. Oh, yeah. There's obviously there's the air of fear of like being high on a mountain and I don't have any climbing material on might fall. But that wasn't what struck for me. It was the when you see that dynamite for the first time. Right. Yeah. And you realize, one, this dynamite is here because they do routine detonations to make sure that there is not a substantial avalanche every year. And two, the rock slide that killed all the people, um, you know, all those years ago was caused by Tyrak. Yep. No one knows this because, well, one, obviously the government covered it up, but two, no one ever comes up on this mountain to do anything other than flee. And so they're not going to come back down into this country and tell people what's really going on. And so, like, yes, the the events of that rock slide happened as a result of political act, activism from the Black Brigades, but that moment of realization where you as a player get to go, oh, now I know the story. I know the real story. And now that's going to change how I view all of these characters and also their affiliations. Oh, yeah.
0: And no, none of the individual characters have the full story, right? They only have their limited perspective. And you get to see the entire thing, um, which is like, I don't know. I, it's incredibly well done, I think.
2: Yeah. And it it's really interesting, too, because you know, Mason, you keep mentioning the Black Brigades being very violent and the leader is but I got a scene where there was uh, where you can sneak in to a bar where the Black Brigades are meeting and it's very interesting But, but the way it ends is you watch as tension is mounting and The leader of the Black Brigades wants violence to happen, and John does not. And there is a vote, and it is tied. You have to make a choice. Well, you don't have to make a choice. You can actually choose to not make a choice. But I think it's really interesting, because that is actually the problem I had with the brigades throughout the whole thing, is I wasn't going to trust tyranny... Offhand, but I also wasn't just going to trust rebels against tyranny without knowing a little bit more about what they want. And I think an interesting issue with the brigades is they don't know exactly what they want. They don't know what the best way to accomplish what they're trying to do is. I think that's very poignant when it comes to how do you fight something like fascism, right? Yeah, yeah. Where... You know, I personally, I am mostly against violence, but I did advocate for a violent ending to this particular story because I didn't see a voting way out of it. You can vote, but who's to say Tyrak will try to hold power anyway, right? You know, there's no why. If you can't trust him to run your country now, why would you trust him to listen to voting, respecting the results of an election? And to your point, there's actually a lot of lines of dialogue that
0: imply that Tyrak is attempting to fix the election.
2: I don't remember, honestly, what I did in that scene, but I had mostly advocated for violence, revolution, throughout. Because, and the main reason I chose that is just because I have to deal with voting my way up in real life. Yeah. Uh, And there's no... (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> There's no uh, There is no realistic it, it, At least Personally for me I don't see very many Realistic ways to uh, Prevent my country from Going into Fascistic tendencies but voting Uh Sorry if that's too Spicy uh, <laughs> I don't know um, And I just wanted to go for it This time through And try it that way. But I do think the brigades are interesting in that you don't know... You never really know if they're trying to do the best good for everyone or not. Mainly because of the tension between John and the leader. Because the leader seems... I I don't... I know it's because they make John sympathetic and the leader not sympathetic. But he seems not to just want the best thing for everyone if that makes sense yeah
0: so the leader's name uh, I, this is something i wanted to get into specifically because i found it very interesting about how they wrote the leader the leader of the Bla- black brigades is named robert and he has three sort of major major story interactions in the game number one um, the the scene you talked about is a scene that happens in every playthrough the one where you vote mm. on if the Black Brigade chooses to be more violent or not where he takes advantage of a teenager to, to right. get his political ends um, you see several vignettes with Alex where Alex talks about a guy named Robert wanting him mm. to build a bomb which is him uh, taking advantage of a teenager to gain his political ends and I don't know if y'all caught this robert is the science teacher who pushed gerard's daughter to be in the black brigades so his main way of achieving his political ends is through abusing teenagers
1: taking advantage of them i did
2: not catch that
1: and the reason and the reason he does that is because teenagers are very this is a country where teenagers are very malleable because already teenagers are trying to like leave the country so it's like, well, why, instead of leaving the country, instead, why don't you stay and fight for me, mm. and I'll I'll help make things correct, right? Yeah. The
0: reason, so me uh, picking up that it was Robert happened in the Stan and Mitch event, where you try and help them find uh, when Gerard will attack. In, like, one of the letters, Gerard's daughter references the science teacher, Robert, who brought mm. her into the Black Brigades. It's like... Uh, It's a detail. All he does is find these very... Vulnerable. Yeah, vulnerable and most disadvantaged people uh, from Mm -hmm. the current uh, regime. And he's like, all right, you're going to be my sort of actors of violence. Also a fun thing that uh, if you help Gerard as much as possible... Did y'all have the event where he has the person stuck in his trunk? Yeah. There's a series Mm -hmm. of choices you can make where Gerard learns... The Black Brigades location and the person in his trunk isn't a rando. It's like actually Robert. Oh. Yeah, he can actually kidnap Robert and kill
1: him. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So like the thing, the thing of, I feel like the brigades in a lot of ways do reflect a lot of real world <laughs> political dissident groups, where it is a collective of people who don't like the current political systems. But don't necessarily, like, you don't really ever get a gauge of, like, what their ideals are when they're mm-hmm. When they're, like, you know, if you're successful, let's, and the Black Brigades, if if you choose to support them, do end up being successful, I would, I would say. If you are successful, then what's next? I think as a result of the Black Brigades not really having a good concept of what they wanted next... Just end up putting the liberal opponent of Tyrak, um, in, power. in power essentially, and so, you know, is that good enough for you? You know, did you want more? But the fact that you're you never really, the fact that they never really voiced these opinions as a player makes me almost think that, yes, they wanted change, but no, they never really had a concept.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And in, in my in my
0: ending, it, it said like specifically. Flores, who's Tyrak's liberal opponent, um, takes office, and she's still too far to the center. Like she exists yeah. too far to the right for the brigades. So even their ideal world that they create with as much power, like they still, they're not even I, close to getting what they want.
1: And I kind of want to take us into talking about the endings a little bit. Um, this seems like a good, good place in any transition. So, I, I I think that's a perfect segue for us to get into the endings a little bit. So the interesting thing to me about this game is there is what I think, what I perceive as an outsider to be sort of a center left view of the world. No one in this game, no like real political organization in this game that you ever get to have direct contact with is really portrayed in the best light. I I think I think There is an idea that Flores, who is, again, the uh, political candidate running against Tyrak, is, like, sort of, quote-unquote, the only way out. But I think in spite of that, because, you know, your three endings are you leave the country to kind of just be off to its own devices. And you don't really, you know, you kind of just basically leave Tyrak in control. You do well enough to convince the people of the country to vote for flores and flores does in fact win the election and that is the respected outcome even though it does require the event at the border to have that happen and there's the ending where you support the black brigades and the black brigades successfully mount a week-long protest which ends up still with flores being in power and i think if you just think about it from a political perspective of it sure sucks that that's the best outcome that you can achieve where Flores just ends up in control and things get better, but not that much better at least immediate in the intermediary. I think if you look at it from a more, I guess existential or like moralistic perspective of even though people can try so much and put so much action behind things most of the time the needle is not going to move that far or as hard as you would like you are like it is so hard to go from a tyrannical regime you know a top right type of regime to bringing it over into a more you know idealistic society and i think there's something kind of powerful in that idea of like as much as you want society to change society is not necessarily going to be willing to change for you if you don't put in the time and preparation to prepare it for it
2: but uh, one thing i do want to note in terms of the you never really get everything out of each political thing you definitely know Tyrek is uh a dickhead because oh yeah Oh, yeah. When the ending starts, uh, your kid is in a prison with another kid who you've seen throughout your travels, and he gets, like, shaved, tortured, so on and so forth. Just so we're clear, Tyrak, definitely bad. Uh, and uh, anything that is not Tyrak
1: might be preferable. <laughs> yeah. I think I think my the main point I want to say is like, Flor Flores as a character is basically an enigma. You base mm-hmm. you don't really get to know her at all, yeah. um, besides
2: people supporting her and not really giving any insight into it.
0: Correct. But like I, I do think I agree with you that there's sort of a and, I don't think if you want me to edit this out I will. But like I think it's no surprise that all three of us are like pretty far left guys, at least as far as United States politics goes I would find it if you could just like flip the country on a dime to a super far left black brigade like ideal regime, I would think that would be kind of a crazy not well written ending just because like you meet so many Tyrak supporters like it's very clear Tyrak has a lot of popular support in the country, it would be crazy
2: if you could just institute a leftist regime and not to mention the Black Brigades coerce businesses into cooperating with them. Yeah, like yeah, don't, through. Don't violence. get
1: me wrong. Don't get uh, me wrong. I think it would be absolutely be a bit of a cop out if they did install a leftist regime. I just think that the way that the game ends up skewing works in the favor of a bigger narrative. As far as the world will, the world will never. The world doesn't change the way you want it yeah yeah
2: yeah and I it is interesting, right because you don't really get many stories that end that way. Yeah. Uh, you, you often get like edgelord stories that are like everything is terrible and everyone dies uh, or you get the opposite of where everything is great right after, right But I think this conclusion that you get, Uh, with Flores being in power, the Black Brigade still not being super happy with it, accepting it, is probably a very realistic and reasonable ending to achieve besides, you know, the teenagers abandoning.
1: Yeah.
0: Also, another small note, as far as the game mechanics are concerned, we've spoken a lot about how, like, the ending that you generally will get is a Flores ending winning Uh, Flores winning ending Um, it is super hard to have the ending where Tyrak wins you generally have to aim solely for that when my fiance played through the game uh, she chose a lot of the options that are supposed to wait towards Tyrak winning and still got the liberal Flores winning ending
1: And so I think with that, we've kind of come full circle. Uh, There's a lot of things about this game that we didn't get to discuss, but before I begin to bring us to a close, are there any, like, last kind of things you guys would like to hit on? How many of your teenagers survived? I think I had... So my first playthrough, I think I only had one... I got one get killed, and I had one not make it to the border due to... uh, like sleeping on the side of the road and getting arrested. So the rest of them made it out, which was like six, I want to say six.
0: I had three teenagers die. I had none get arrested. And Haley, my fiance had none
2: die and two get arrested. Oh man. I feel like I missed out. All of my teenagers escaped except for I had one die for Zoe and then my last one theoretically died in the revolution.
0: I think I'm yeah. the only one of the three of us who killed Zoe during that event. You are, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm not, you asked me to come along. I didn't want to come along. I'm not like dying for you. And she, yeah,
2: yeah she gets I, clapped immediately. I thought she was a good political tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, with all that being said, uh, if you would like to play Road 96, if you've listened all the way through so far and you have not played the game and now you're interested, you can pick it up on Steam or pretty much any game pla- gaming platform that you have uh, for the modern age. Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, or 5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X. And this game is available on the Xbox uh, Game Pass. So if you are a subscriber to that, you can play this right now for free. Um, this is a game that... I would recommend to most people uh, especially if you are politically minded or enjoy more narratively driven games Uh,
0: I even think it works as a good introduction if you haven't played uh, very politically high minded games before if you're just a fan of games that have that sort of butterfly effect choices matter type of thing this will be an interesting playthrough
1: so with that I want to thank all of you for listening I would like to thank my co-hosts for being here and having this lovely discussion with me today this is uh level zero literacy signing off and we hope to catch you next time
0: thanks for joining us for the first episode of level zero literacy For those of you wanting to play along for the next episode, we will be playing Bioshock, available on most major gaming platforms. Thank you and good night.